Presbyopia Unlocked is an editorially independent podcast supported with advertising by Alcon. The landscape of presbyopia correcting technologies has steadily grown over time. We've watched a variety of lenses come onto the market over the last 20 years, and it seems like, if anything, there's a logarithmic progression with new lenses coming in seemingly almost every year, and they're exciting. What I love to see is that technology is driving technology. So the better lenses come out and everyone goes to the table and reevaluates how can we even make a better lens than this one. Reflections on earlier options highlight how far technology has come. We've gone through a, a variety of different technologies that really haven't worked very well, but there are a bunch of new technologies that are on the horizon now that look very exciting. There's still other technology that's going to be coming out and, and people are working on trying to make the perfect lens to replace our natural lens. And so it, it's just an exciting time in ophthalmology. Listen as Dr. Rosa Braga-Mealy and Dr. Eric Donenfeld review differences in the available technologies on this episode of Presbyopia Unlocked. Hi everyone, thank you for joining us. I'm Dr. Rosa Bragamili, and um, we're here to talk about the different type of premium IOLs that are available currently on the market. And with me today, I have Dr. Eric Donenfeld. Hi Rosa, it's nice to be here. I'm here on Long Island, uh, you're up in Canada, and uh, you have some different experiences than we have, so it's gonna be a very f interesting talk to hear about technology, some of which we have here, and some of which you can tell us that will be coming to the United States. But uh, presbyopic IOLs have been a major interest of mine since we started almost 20 years ago in the United States with the uh, array lens. And uh, uh, that lens for me was kind of the first introduction into presbyopic uh, treatment. And we've watched a variety of lenses come onto the market over the last 20 years. And it seems like if anything, there's a logarithmic progression with new lenses coming in seemingly almost every year. Uh, and they're exciting. So, uh, Rosa, l let's uh, talk about the different technologies. And let's maybe start talking about the, the first technologies which we had, which were multifocal lenses, which were really bifocal lenses, but we called them multifocals. So, why don't we Correct. hear so from you about that? So, much like yourself, Eric, I started with the array lens um, and um, had to do my own LRIs to correct any astigmatism to try to optimize vision. So what really has progressed with the multifocal IOLs has been the refinement of the technology and the platform that the lenses are on to minimize or help minimize the, the visual dysphotopsias that we could have experienced with um, the earlier generation of IOLs. And also the fact that they now mostly come on a torque platform as well um, mitigating the need to not have to do any LRIs with these cases and being able to treat astigmatism and offer them to all patients um, that would like to have that, as you said, more so a bifocality to their vision, distance, and near, or in, in some of the lower ad multifocal IOLs, distance and intermediate. And the, the first lenses that we had here were refractive IOLs. They had different refractive contours. Uh, recently in the United States, we've really uh, had these lenses basically disappear as we've gone to diffractive technology, which offers several advantages for quality of vision uh, with uh, a presbyopic IOL. 
But uh, again, the early lenses were refractive. Then we went to diffractive. It was interesting. The first diffractive lenses that came onto the market were the Restore lens followed by the Technus multifocal. And the first lenses were four diopter ed lenses. And those lenses had significantly close near points and, 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 and kind of dead zones in between where you didn't really see much. And then you could see it distance again. And they had tremendous dysphotopsias. What was your experience with the early generation diffractive eye lens, Rosa? Yeah, I agree with you. I think the ads at those times was very high. And so I found the near point for the patients, um, unless they had been high myopes previously and used to that near point, it was almost overwhelming for people to hold things very close. And then I agree with you that the intermediate vision with those lenses tended to be lost and they needed glasses for intermediate vision um, in my practice. And then their distance vision was good, but um, not as optimized as it could be because of the tremendous dysphotopsias that occurred specifically with night driving and night vision. It was interesting in that the idea from both companies, and this was uh, um, at the time AMO and Alcon, was that by maximizing the near point, you would separate the images and reduce the dysphotopsias. But in actuality, it was a worst case scenario because by maximizing the near point, you increase the size of the halos. Uh, following this generation of lenses, we went to lower add multifocals or bifocal lenses, uh, the Restore 3.0, uh, the Restore 2.5. Uh, Technus had the 3.25 and 275, and those lenses actually had much better quality of vision. Correct. And still had dysphotopsias. However, it was a bit less, but they still had dysphotopsias because of obviously the ring principles in the lenses, but their distance vision was better. And what I started doing with those different ad multifocal eye wells, Eric, and I don't know if, if you were doing this as well, is mixing and matching so that I would do the distance dominant eye with the lower ad multifocal to minimize the dysphotopsias. And then the um, higher ad multifocal was on their near dominant eye to give them more near vision and optimize their near vision, thereby trying to give them as good blended vision as I could with mixing and matching those lenses. Yeah, and I agree. And we, we've done something very similar. You could use the Restore 2.5 and the Restore 3, or you could use the Technus 275 and the three and a quarter. And, and we got pretty good results with those. Uh, but the next big story that came out after uh, these multifocal lenses. Well, actually, we should go back for a second and men mention that originally they were um, a they were uh, without toric lenses, and then they went to toric lenses, which really made a big difference as well. But uh, the next generation of lenses uh, here were the EDOF, or the Extended Depth of Focus lenses, uh, and those lenses offered some significant advantages. Rosa, what's your experience been with the uh, EDOF lenses? Well, again, the EDOF... EDOF lenses for me were just another piece of the pie in my portfolio that I could offer my patients because with the way the range of vision was, I gave it more to patients that needed that distance and intermediate but wanted to minimize any visual dysphotopsias in, in a lighting situation or a dim light situation. So they were great also for post-refractive cases, post-LASIK cases, they were more forgiving in the eye and allowed a range of vision for my patients. And 
I would either use them in a bit of a mini monovision where again, the distance dominant eye would be Plano and the other eye I would make at a minus 0.5, minus 0.75, probably not even that high or else the visual dysphotopsis would be too great to give them more of a range of vision or I would use the EDOF in their distance dominant eye and then um, a multifocal lens in their non-distance dominant eye. So they really did add to the, um, what we could offer our patients um, for the portfolio that we were giving them. And my experience has been similar to yours in that uh, the EDF lens, which was the symphony lens here in the United States, offered us the best quality vision at distance, but it also offered us the least near. So you didn't get spectacle independence, but you got intermediate vision that was pretty good. And you didn't get the dysphotopsies you got with some of the higher end lenses. So it was a good quality lens that gave you some reading, but it didn't leave patients spectacle free, which uh, many of them want. So I, I, this is a lens I still use very frequently. I, I use it in patients where I don't want to use a multifocal. I use it in patients who may have uh, night driving uh, uh, responsibilities. Uh, I use it in people who may have uh, previous refractive surgery or patients who have uh, uh, mild retinal pathologies, like a mild epiretinal memory. And that's the lens that I will still use because it does give very good quality of vision at distance. And it was the first lens that had diffractive technology at, different, at distance, so it reduced chromatic aberration. Uh, so for that reason, uh, it was a welcome uh, addition to armamentarium and a lens that I still use very frequently. Yes, and it's also available with a torque component, so that makes it easier to treat a broader range of patients that may have astigmatism, as well as wanting a range of vision, which right. makes a huge difference. I agree with you. In Europe, there are other EDOF IOLs. We don't have them in Canada yet, and I know in the U.S. they're not available. So um, Panoptics, which is a, a trifocal IOL that I know has just been approved in the U.S., has become available with a better range of vision than the multifocal IOLs um, and a bit less dysphotopsia than the multifocal IOLs. So it has, in my case, replaced multifocal IOLs. It has not replaced EDOF IOLs, but it has replaced the multifocal IOLs that I have been using. Um, so I'll use a trifocal EDOF mix and match if, if I feel I need a better vision in the distance dominant eye. Although the panoptics gives really good distance vision and intermediate and near as well. And that's been my experience as well. And we've been waiting for a long time here in the United States for the advent of trifocal technology. I've been talking to my colleagues in Europe and Canada, such as you, Rosa, and I've talked to some you know, very smart people, and they tell me the same thing, uh, and that is that the trifocal gives spectacle independence, which I expected, but they also say that the quality of vision at distance is a lot better than you would expect, and, and better certainly than the high-ed multifocals, and, and, and they're very well tolerated. And that's been my early experience here in the United States as well, is that the panoptics lens provides very good quality of vision um, at distance and ended near. And uh, the lens basically has a 40% distance dominant uh, uh, light uh, array and about 20% to intermediate and about 20% to near. So it does give very good quality of vision at distance, but it also gives good vision at near points and, and up close so that most of the patients really are spectacle independent and they get good quality of vision. But I, my initial experience is uh, the lens is, has good quality of vision, but not as good as an EDOF. You have more experience with this than I do, Rosa. So what's your experience been? It has, I, I'm, I sort of side with you. I, I think that 
it has good quality of vision. It has a great range of vision is what it does. It has a great seamless range of vision. So my patients are quite happy with their distance, their intermediate, and their near. Um, but it does still have dysphotopsias, um, perhaps the same or a little bit more than an EDOF um, IOL. Um, and if it was a post-refractive case that was higher than um, a minus two uh, treated post-LASA case, I would opt for the more forgiving lens than um, putting in the panoptic lens and anything that, any, any cornea that may have some, some unforgiving qualities, um, I would not put a trifocal in there. There are other trifocals available also in Canada. Uh, Zeiss has a trifocal and, um, Shalom carries a trifocal, and they're very good too. I don't think their their range of vision is as good as the panoptics, um, but they do have a great range of lenses, and and some of them treat higher degrees of astigmatism. So in Canada, we're lucky we have a broad range of trifocal IOLs available, as they do in Europe, and even more so in Europe, as to what's available for them. But it, it's definitely what I love to see is that technology is driving technology. So. The better lenses come out and everyone goes to the table and reevaluates how can we even make a better lens than this one. And, and that's what we're going to be seeing is, I think, the advent of, of a huge rise in, in bringing out new lenses that try to minimize dysphotopsias, try to increase quality of vision at distance, and try to keep that range of vision as broad as a trifocal IOL. And the way these lenses do this is they... Um, augment the quality of vision because the, you always lose a little bit of quality of vision at distance when you in any way split light. So we, we acknowledge that, but by reducing the dysphotopsias, by increasing the, the negative spheric aberration so that you, you get better quality of vision, improving chromatic aberration, there are a lot of good ways of, of using the advanced optics of these lenses to give quality of vision. And the quality of vision today uh, with the panoptics and the simple lenses, which are my two go-to lenses today, is really so much better than anything we've had before. Um, and I, I'm very hopeful that they will significantly grow the market for presbyopic IOLs. But we haven't talked about one other group of lenses, Rose, and that is accommodating lenses. In the United States, we have a lens that we call an accommodating lens called the crystal lens. Uh, it, the lens does give some near, but there's really... Um, significant doubts that it really does move inside the eye accommodate. It gives, it gives pseudo accommodation uh, and uh, the lens has had uh, declining market share. Uh, it's a little unpredictable in its positioning in the eye so that the effective lens position may change and you have some refractive instability. Uh, but there's some people who still like it and, and, and it is used by some people. And at the time that I might use this lens would be in a patient who's had a hyperopic LASIK in the past where they have induced negative spherical aberration in the cornea. And I want to use a lens that has zero spherical aberration to reduce the risk of increasing negative spherical aberration. So that's the one time I use it uh, occasionally. Uh, but again, it has, you know, um, it's not used at all in Europe and I don't think it's used in Canada either. Uh, no, we're not using any... it. I, I gave it up uh, a while ago. But I think the future is going to be in accommodating IOLs, don't you, Eric? Well, that's what I've been waiting for. If you told me 20 years ago, Rosa, that I'd still be using multifocal IOLs, I would have thought you were mad. Uh, because I thought 
that a, a, a true economy lens would have been here a long time ago. And we've gone through a, a variety of different technologies that really haven't worked very well. But there are a bunch of new technologies that are on the horizon now that look very exciting. Rosie, you're working with some of them. Yeah, so I'm, I'm working with um, a company now that has an accommodating lens, um, LensGen, who um, has a, a dual modular lens where we have a, a solid lens that goes into the bag and then a fluid fill lens that clips into that solid base lens. And um, they're, in fact, I think going to be starting FDA trials shortly. So we're going to see movement towards maybe getting an accommodating lens finally approved, hopefully within the next three to five years, that will allow for true accommodation because with the way the ciliary processes work, with the base lens and the fluid fit lens, we do see a shift in the fluid allowing for a true accommodation to occur with this lens. It's not a large amount of accommodation, but it is occurring. So it's great to see things moving forward and studies, um, LensGen has done studies outside of the US on this lens and it's very promising in bilateral implantation that patients have good distance vision with no dysphystopsias, not any different than a monofocal IOL and good intermediate and near vision with this lens. Um, Eric, are you familiar with it? Rosa <laughs> knows I am. We've both been down to Mexico and we've both implanted this lens and it's very exciting. And what, and what this lens is, it's a biomimetic lens. It works the same way the natural crystalline lens works. And it doesn't split light, so you have great quality of vision. And I've seen a number of patients who've been out six months or a year now who actually have wonderful quality vision at all distances. So it's, it's very impressive. Uh, Alcon also has a similar lens uh, that they're a little actually ahead of called the Power Vision lens, which is a, a one-piece lens that has, again, same biomimetic uh, properties. And uh, early reports are that it's doing extremely well also. Uh, and then there is a, another lens called the Atia lens, which also is a modular lens design, which is shape-changing uh, in a biomimetic fashion. So there are a variety of different lenses that are out there that are being worked on. And uh, it's an exciting place to be to have these new accommodating lenses uh, coming down the pike. So uh, uh, we have a lot to look forward uh, in the very near future. But let's talk about uh, a couple of lenses that are on the horizon, uh, maybe in the next year or two, that will become available. And um, uh, Alphon has a very exciting lens that's coming out uh, that is going to have a uh, combination of a uh, EDOF and multifocal technology that looks very exciting. Johnson Johnson also has a Symphony Plus that's going to have about a, a half adopter in one year uh, and the same dysphotopsia uh, effect now. So you don't give up any distance and you get more near. Uh, and it's going to have a violet blocking with it. And then there's a lens coming in about a year, year and a half um, that also is a multifocal lens that has an EUF characteristic. So uh, Alcon uh, and Johnson Johnson have some very exciting lenses that are coming in the very near future that we're looking forward to trying out uh, in our clinic. And, and both of those companies as well have a monofocal plus lens that has a, um, a, sh a different curvature to it in the center. So no, no, no halos, no, um, I'm sorry, no ring technology, just the way the, the lens is laid centrally that allows for a, a longer depth of focus. So it's not an EDOF IOL that we currently know on the market, but it is um, what they both companies call the monofocal plus. So it's not going to give you 
a huge amount of intermediate vision, but it's going to give you maybe a range of minus one um, where you can see distance. The dysphotopsias in both of these profiles are equivalent to their current monofocal IOLs. It's based on each of the company's same platforms, their, their base platform, which would be the Acrosoft and the Technus, and, and they will give us a range of vision and perhaps a little mini monovision there. That lens to me is very exciting because I think it will be the most forgiving lens and we could offer it to all our patients, even those that have ocular pathology because we are not decreasing contrast sensitivity with those lenses, but allowing them to have a range of vision as well. And these lenses are currently available in Europe now and doing extremely well, actually. Correct. So one more group of lenses, Rosa, to talk about. Uh, and this is not, not a presbyopic IOL, so to, uh, to say, but it relies upon really nailing distance vision for people who want to have monovision. And monovision is still a very effective way of treating presbyopia. But to have monovision, the number one rule is you have to nail the distance. That one eye that sees distance has to be sharp because you're really relying upon one eye rather than having a summation of two. And that's the light adjustable lens, which has been approved in the United States now. Uh, and that's a technology that, that's also very exciting uh, that offers some very interesting opportunities for us in the refractive eye roll business. Correct. We don't have it available in Canada, so I have not, I have not used it yet. Well, this is a lens that is placed in the patient's eye, and then you wait two to four weeks until the patient's refraction has stabilized, and then you can adjust the lens by shining UV light at the patient's eye in a controlled manner to change the refractive error. And it can be done uh, two or three times to really get the vision good. And, and the studies that have been done have showed that they get within a quarter diopter of refractive error you know, well over 90% of the time. So it's a, it's a technology that has a very good place uh, in our armamentarium. I think it's ideal for people who are post-refractive or have had radial keratotomy. Uh, and these lenses, this, this technology is now approved in the United States and is being used. And uh, I think there's going to be a very significant place for this technology as well. Definitely. And I agree with everything you've said on that. Um, I personally am a monovision um, utilizer myself. I have a distant dominant eye that is Plano and um, lucky for me, my other eye regressed from post-LASIK to about a minus 150 and I love it. Um, and so I don't think there's anything wrong with monovision, specifically in patients that are monovision users, either contact lens or natural monovision patients. I probably would do nothing other than make them monovision patients. And, and I agree with you that nailing distance vision is very important because that is the eye they rely upon to drive at night and, um, and do things like that. Well, Rosa, when you turn like 43, 44, and you start becoming <laughs> presbyopic, yeah, you're going to really exactly. enjoy the, ref the refractive error that you have today. So oh, that's going to so work out very well. <laughs> thank you, Eric. What I find most exciting is that even through everything we just discussed over the last 25 minutes, there's still other technology that's going to be coming out. And, and people are working on trying to make the perfect lens um, to replace our natural lens. And so it's just an exciting time in ophthalmology, wouldn't you say? I do agree with you. And um, cataract surgery, uh, when I first was in training, was considered the definitive sign of old age. When you had cataracts, you became old. Uh, you had uh, no uh, accommodation at all. You relied upon glasses. 
uh, all the time. And it was really something that people resisted until they absolutely had to have it done. And today, uh, we view cataract surgery as the fountain of youth. It's the one surgery that can restore your quality of vision to uh, maybe sometimes better than it was when you were younger. We can resolve refractive errors, we can resolve uh, astigmatism, and we can resolve uh, presbyopia as well. So uh, it's a really exciting time to be in ophthalmology and, and the future looks even brighter uh, with all these new technologies on the horizon. So, Rosa, I want to thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you. Thank you to Drs. Braga, Mealy, and Donenfeld for sharing their knowledge of different presbyopia correcting technologies. And thank you for tuning in. Presbyopia Unlocked is an editorially independent podcast supported with advertising by Alcon. Be sure to tune in to the next episode on OR Efficiencies. <laughs>